We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts or on our YouTube channel, all over social media, or our morning newsletter, KCSN Daily, dedicated to your Kansas City Chiefs. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. KC Laboratory, sponsored by Emprise Bank. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the KC Laboratory, brought to you by Emprise Bank. There are now more options than ever to do your banking. It's not as simple as walking into a brick-and-mortar store anymore. No, it is about the environment that you get to work with these people in. So it's more important than how close it is to your home. You can have digital banking that meets you where you are on your phone, your computer, or even your smartwatch. Emprise Bank is a trusted partner. They are our partner in possible. Emprise Bank member FDIC. We are so appreciative that they are here, that they are bringing this to you. If you are watching this right now, it is because of Emprise Bank. And if you are watching or listening to this right now, you know that I am not Kent Swanson. I am Craig Stout. You're not? And I, I, it's true. I, I, I am Craig Stout. No, Kent did not miss the time to go live tonight. I are you promise sure? you. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Kent has some things that he's going through with work and everything like that. He will be back shortly. Everything is just fine. But the voice that you've already heard one of my very favorite people in the world. One of the few people in KCSN that when we are together, I can almost look directly in the eye instead of over the top of their heads. Maddie Lane, my friend, how are we doing this evening? He goes, you can't give me that much credit. You, you still look over my head. It's just you only have to slightly gaze downward uh, upon me because you are just such a tall, handsome man. Um, Thank you for the kind introduction. You're much better at that than Kent is. I, I actually petitioned you to always intro the shows going oh. forward um kent's not here to defend himself so like if he disagrees he can speak up in the in the chat but um if not i guess you're now taking take it over man i hate that this thing is a democracy (laughs) all right um you know we are in the official doldrums of the season the chiefs are in otas right now we got some pressers last week a lot of coaches and stuff like that there was some stuff that came out of it but not a ton and then today a big bomb drops on the defensive tackle market. Aaron Donald signs a massive, massive deal. Basically, it's a $40 million raise over his current contract without adding a whole bunch of years. Yes, there are a couple of void years at the end of this. That's what teams are kind of doing now. The Chiefs haven't really gotten into that much. That's what teams are doing now. He is now the highest paid non quarterback in the nfl making 31.6 million dollars 
a year. $31.6 million for a defensive player, one of the very best in the game, undoubtedly. Before we get into what this means for the Chiefs, Maddie, let's dive into this a little bit. Do you think, first and foremost, that Aaron Donald is worth $31.6 million APY? Mm, yes. Um, you're getting close to that point of the number where you do actually have to maybe start having the conversation, right? Like you're getting high enough up there for a non-quarterback where I you almost can't just brush it under the rug as, no, just watch them play a single time. Don't ask such a silly question. But 31, it's a lot. That's a lot of money. But God, he's so good. He's just, Aaron so Donald's good. different. He's so good. And you know he's going to be good no matter what, right? Like when Aaron Donald doesn't dominate a game, like even if he's just fine, he just has a good game, like the opposing fan base is doing backflips, puffing their chest out on Twitter because they think that they just held the best player they've ever seen on the defensive side of the ball to a nearly a good game. So no, I don't think it's an overpay. They don't get to a Super Bowl. They don't win a Super Bowl without him, like hands down, like he is that level, like nobody could argue it. So I don't think it's an overpay. Do you? No, not at all. I mean, Aaron Donald is so much of a game changer, like you said. Like I mean, We heard Jeff Allen talk about it during the draft. Like He talked about playing against a rookie Aaron Donald and him just slipping underneath him and being like, oh, crap, uh, you guys, <laughs> this guy's going to be a problem. Like He knew right up there, right up front. But no, I don't think it's an overpay. I mean, teams are practically game planning for him, you know, four or five weeks in advance, just knowing what he can do to your offense and how he can wreck a game plan. He is one of the few defensive players that it doesn't matter what you do. I mean, you can you can throw the types of numbers at him that that would make other teams blush. You can throw three guys at him. that he, You can give him the George Karloftis 2021 Purdue offense. You know, basically throw everything at him to try and stop him, and it doesn't matter. Aaron Donald will wreck it. He will wreck the game still. So, yeah, no, he's well worth that amount of money. Now, Chiefs fans, we're all Chiefs fans. If you're listening to this, you're probably a Chiefs fan. The initial reaction from a lot of people, ooh, buddy. This guy. Chris Jones is going to be expensive all of the sudden. Chris Jones for those who are unaware, he's not on the last year of his deal. That comes next year. This year, his cap hit is $29.4 million. That is the highest cap hit in the league for a defensive tackle. Next year is $27 million. The Chiefs can get out of that next year and basically save around $20 million against the cap. There was a lot of speculation this offseason. Maybe the Chiefs would try and mitigate some of the cap hit this year and next year by extending him a little bit, trying getting him a little further down the road. He is going to be a 28-year-old this season. We have seen the Chiefs offer some 28, 27-year-olds some bigger money. I think now that the Aaron Donald contract is on the books, Matty, what do you think that Chris Jones is going to ask for here? Obviously, Aaron Donald, under otherworldly player. Chris Jones is certainly not going to turn around and say, hey, I need $34 million or something like that. But it's not going to be a small pay bump here. It's going to be a large one for whoever signs Chris Jones to his next contract. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And looking through just quickly, I think he's going to be next in line for to get paid at the position. I'm looking through here. Jonathan Allen got paid, I believe, last year. They extended him, and that you know came in at an average of $18 million per year. Kenny Clark is about on the same. No, Kenny Clark just happened. He's at 17 and a half. Like everybody else that may be getting paid at the position, unless I'm missing a rookie, but I don't know if there's any body on a rookie contract that's ready to jump up I mean, into that price range. Deron Payne, but I don't think that he's coming up to that yeah, price range. I don't think yeah. you're in that price range. So like there's nobody, there's nobody else. Fletcher Cox is a little bit older. He just got his new deal, which was good. Like he got a good deal, but like you're not dealing with anybody that's going to be in this same stratosphere coming up on a contract. And so that's going to be Chris Jones. It's if you're him, I mean, you're sitting here. How are you not going to be asking for 28? 29 $30 million per year. If you're him, like, how aren't you? Yeah. You're not, you're not Aaron Donald. You're not like I, you know, 
we we can argue and like split the hairs on if he's number two, number three, whatever it may be of any of this stuff. But whoever's number two isn't Aaron Donald, right? Like at the end of the day, no. they're not Aaron Donald. They shouldn't be. The cap keeps going up. Every new person that gets paid, we've talked about, gets paid more. Should anybody? How how many years should it take before a defensive tackle gets paid more money than Aaron Donald, Craig? Oh man. Well, um, let's see. Aaron Donald maybe is reply, you know, retiring here in another three years. Uh, after that, how about that? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, I think the threat yeah. was he was definitely retiring if he didn't get this massive contract, and I think he was willing to come through on that. So that's why they came up for it. So yeah, with that being said, I think it's going to be another three years, and I would get it, but. That doesn't mean that you're going to have a gulf here. I mean, right now, you're looking at average value here. DeForest Buckner is second highest at $21 million. Chris Jones is at $20 million, it, depending on where you put Leonard Williams, if he if he's going to be an inside-outside sort of guy. He's up there as well. There's not going to stay this $10 million gulf between right. Aaron Donald and number two. There just isn't. There, that's going to close up at some point, whether it be an extension of one of these guys or whether it be Chris Jones, basically. You know, So I think you're right. I think he is the next guy to come down the pipe. Now, I'll ask you this question. Do you think the Chiefs are going to pay upwards of $26, 27000000 million for a long-term deal for Chris Jones, you know, maybe starting next season? I do not. I absolutely yeah. do not think they'll pay. I, I think it's a different position. So you want to argue that a quarterback can make a receiver better, fine. But the Chiefs just kind of did a similar thing here with Tyreek Hill, right? Where they were not willing to pay him the absolute most money that you could. Now, Chris Jones isn't going to break Aaron Donald's number, but if we're talking close, I think you put it right in there. You're talking about a position that doesn't get this much money historically until all of a sudden this year, huge jump in the pay of the top guy, Devontae Adams at receiver, Aaron Donald at defensive tackle. But now, unlike with Tyreek Hill, you're dealing with a guy that is clearly inferior to Donald. Not, not saying he's bad. I'm just saying he's clearly not as good, whereas Tyreek Hill, I think you could make the case, is on par with Devontae Adams. I think a lot of NFL players have made that case for him as well. I just don't see them paying a defensive tackle that much and then you add on to it by the time they would be doing this new deal chris jones would be turning 28 we're now into that magical number where the chiefs like hmm do we really want to pay you long term because he's gonna turn 28 next july i just i don't see it happen i don't see chris jones and the chiefs making it long term together because of this jump if aaron donald stayed at his 22 per year and chris jones mm -hmm. wanted to just barely tip over it i think it would have been tight as is I don't know mm -hmm. if you want if they want to be in the market of paying a defensive tackle the most in the NFL, but now you're going to tack on, I mean, essentially $10 million from what you're paying them right now. I don't see it happening. I mean, it, let, let's look at it this way. If if the Los Angeles Rams were unable to come to a deal that Aaron Donald wanted and he turned around and retired this offseason, just said, you know what, that's it. I'm hanging it up. This contract wasn't enough for me. I want to take care of my body. I'm done putting myself through the ringer. You know, that, that's not enough money to force me to come back and play football for you any longer. I think that we are talking about the next defensive tackle contract in the $23, $24 million range, like you were saying. I could see the Chiefs justifying it, especially if they have to move on from multiple members of a defensive line next season. I don't think any of us think that Frank Clark is going to be a Chief next year. They certainly need some new bodies along the defensive line. If now all of a sudden you're having to replace Chris Jones as well, that makes it very difficult. So playing devil's advocate there, I think that I could see the Chiefs at least extending a decent offer to Chris Jones. I don't know that they would extend the kind of top dollar, much like the Tyreek Hill situation. I can see them maybe saying, hey, all right, we're kind of over a barrel here. We need the help here. We know that we're going to have to go young for a defensive end once again. And I mean, I'll get to the defensive end market here in just a <laughs> second, but we know that we're going to have to probably go young at defensive end once again. We need another proven pass rusher. We need a guy that we can trust to get after the quarterback a little bit. And Chris Jones, by and large, has been able to do that. He's been able to do that repeatedly. We can talk about some of the playoff successes and things like that, but he is arguably the second best interior pass rusher in the NFL. I don't think that, you know, there, there's a couple guys you can throw in there, but he is top tier. He is in that upper tier, just behind Aaron Donald. So that being said, I can see the Chiefs saying, 
here's 25. We're willing to put 25 on the table for you. The cap's going up. We were able to save some other money by moving on from Tyreek Hill. So maybe we can afford to sign you right now for this amount of money. So with that being said, Maddie, what kind of season would Chris Jones have to have for you to feel comfortable at $25 million? So you know he's still getting paid six, you know, six million dollars less than Aaron Donald. I mean, that's a gulf. That's a big gap right there. That's a big, big gap. But what would it take for him to do that? Nothing. I I don't think anything could make me feel comfortable paying a defensive tackle that isn't prime JJ Watt or Aaron Donald that much money. I don't, I think the rest of the NFL is essentially telling you that defensive tackles aren't worth that much money. And they've been telling you that the latest guys who signed their deals weren't getting near as much as Aaron Donald. The Rams came in and paid this guy that was threatening to retire and they must've believed him. And he's also clearly the best at the position, maybe the best defensive player ever, he came out and said a ridiculous, ridiculous number. I don't know if the rest of the NFL is going to follow suit, but if I was in charge, I wouldn't. I don't, no matter what the year is, I don't think that I would follow suit barring, you know, something completely impossible, like 40 some sacks. Like at that point in time, okay, fine. But like when you're dealing with like actual real, real life, real football, I don't know if there's anything he could do that would make me feel comfortable paying that much money. I think that's just too much for a non-Aaron Donald or non-prime J.J. Watt or John Randall, prime Warren Sapp type defensive tackle. I just don't think, I think it's too much money to spend at that when you're paying a quarterback, when you need to pay some other premium positions at some point in time. I just, it's not for me. I think you get what you can for him and you let somebody else pay him that much money. So, so defensive player of the year doesn't do it for you? It doesn't. I don't think so. A, a massive playoff run that helps the chief over the line. Okay. When was the last time that Chris Jones was close to playing like that? What happened? And see, I, it's been since the last year in Bob Sutton's tenure. It was. Okay. He had it's to have that. all those other guys around him. Yeah. It's that, but it also was a year when he then came and held out, was trying to play to get paid. And what happened after that? Has he returned to that form? No. So now you make me sort of think that I'm dealing with an inconsistent from year to year player or from play to play player. Am I willing to pay somebody that I find inconsistent game to game, drive to drive, year to year, that much money to play a position that I don't think and the NFL shown you, you can't dominate as a pass rusher as well from a defensive tackle spot unless you are literally the guys I've already mentioned. It's just too much money for a defensive tackle for me. I think that's, I think Aaron Donald is a complete and utterly special case that it should not be used in negotiations. Whether it will or won't, I don't know. But from my stance, I, I don't think the consistency has been there from Chris Jones to justify going much higher than what he's already making per year if I were in charge. Which is still a chunk of change. Don't get us wrong. Like that is still a massive chunk of change and will continue to be so for a little while. But let's go back to kind of what you were talking about from the interior defensive line perspective and about how teams have decided that they're going to rush the passer, how teams have kind of tried the defensive tackle method, then went, ah, maybe, maybe not. Let's go back to edge. You know, so there's definitely a focus going back to edge here. Aaron Donald just blew up that market too. Like, let's be real here because everybody could justify paying their edges more than Aaron Donald because, well, it's an interior defensive tackle. We all know he's the best player in the world. He's going to be one of the all-time greatest defenders ever in the history of the game. But we have placed a value on this position that we deem to be X amount of money. They still, the NFL still told you what they view about the edge position and how they've paid them. TJ Watt is making $28 million AAV right now. You got Joey Bosa at 27. You got Miles Garrett at 25. Even Khalil Mack and Von (laughs) Miller at their ages are making over $20 million. So We talk about how, oh, you move on from Chris Jones. You just try and go get another defensive end. You play in the defensive end market a little bit. If you're going to be playing in the defensive end market, you're probably going to now feel the ripple effects from the Aaron Donald contract there as well. Because as one goes, all go when it comes to defensive contracts. And so now all of a sudden, it's not just going to be, okay, you're going to be able to slip in there get this mid-tier defensive, you know, this defensive end that's maybe a low-end number one or something like that to come in and play a lot of snaps for you opposite a rookie and George Karloftis, maybe Joshua Kando. 
Now all of a sudden you're going to have to pay that guy maybe $22 million, maybe $23 million. You're going to see contracts that now are going to be a little more eye-popping at the edge position as well. So it's not like you just move away from the defensive tackle position because, well, we're not paying that guy that amount of money. You're still going to feel those ripple effects at edge as well. I just think I feel a lot better paying an edge that much money than I do a defensive tackle. I think it sounds so uneducated and so simple, but just look at a football field before the ball is snapped and tell me if a defensive tackle or defensive end has more guys that can possibly, you know, block him on that play. Outside of Aaron Donald. Because <laughs> no, nobody is, can block is, him. Yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> I'm just like, but you just look at where guys are aligned. Defensive tackles mm-hmm. are easier to just schematically take away. Then you start getting into the fact that today's quarterback isn't Peyton Manning or Tom Brady, right? That's not how quarterbacks are coming into the league. Correct. You, these aren't guys that are stuck in the pocket that are just trying to side shuffle two feet to make a play. So if you get up the middle quickly on them, they kind of are in a panic. Now you have all these athletic quarterbacks who have no problem getting out of the pocket. Some of them prefer to, and now all of a sudden, if you have this defensive tackle that's even a freak athlete, we've seen Chris Jones try to take chase down athletic quarterbacks. You've seen Aaron Donald. He can do it, but you can even watch Aaron Donald try to chase down athletic quarterbacks. He's not catching some of these guys, and I mean some of these guys that can still throw the football, right? Like guys that are still good throwers on the move, these guys can't chase them down based on the angle that they're you know coming after them from, based on where they're aligned. So the NFL, maybe it made sense in the early 2000s or even the mid-2010 you know, range where you're working with all these pocket quarterbacks, but now that's not the game anymore. You can't just say, oh, interior pressure wins because so many of these teams are accepting their quarterback getting out of the pocket and going to make plays. It's still about the quickest pressure right now. The quick passing game is all the buzz. You go look at the fastest sacks, they're always edge players. It's not defensive tackles, even though the path to the quarterback is shorter, it's it's still always edge players because they can have more space to work with. They can have a more direct path with less bodies in the way. It's always edge rushers. So I just think that if I'm going to spend 20 plus million dollars on a pass rusher, it's going to be the one that impacts not only just football in general more, but impacts specifically this era of football a lot more. I'm going to pay $25 million to the defensive end that plays the run and the pass, and preferably is a little bit more consistent than Chris Jones has been through his tenure with the Chiefs. Okay, so final bit here. Uh-oh. Call your shot. We're we're a year out. Chiefs are not cutting Chris Jones by any nah. that's it. No, they're they're getting a return on him if they move on again next year. It's about twenty four million dollars in cap hit. They can certainly absorb it if they need to. They will have the cap room, but if the Chiefs are to trade a player like that what kind of return would you expect for a guy of that caliber knowing full well what we have just said about defensive tackle being you know premium or not necessarily a premium as compared to edge but knowing the kind of pass rusher that he can be less than chiefs fans are going to want or think they should get um i it Okay, this goes back to the other question. What kind of year is he coming off of, right? Are we coming mm-hmm. off of one of his best years in the NFL? Maybe that alters it a little bit. And maybe you were starting to edge closer and closer to Khalil Mack. That's probably too much. But getting into that, you know, getting that mid-first round, the Frank Clark level deal in return. Maybe that's you're getting what the Chiefs gave up for Frank Clark if he's coming off a really good year. Now, if he's coming off another year like he had last year or the year before where it's just a little bit more ho-hum, some really good, some not so good, I don't know. I really don't think the return is going to be what a lot of people think for a 28-year-old defensive tackle that is very up and down versus the run, that's a good pass rusher, but doesn't have as many dominant stretches as you would anticipate a guy that's going to require as much money as I think he's going to want. I Some team will want him for sure. It's just I don't know if your trade partners are going to be as lucrative as I think Chiefs fans are kind of hoping it's going to be. So do you think, oh, man. Trying to think of a good comparison. Trying to think of the D Ford, the Marcus Peters trades, what they occurred. Certainly, he gets more than that, right? Like he, he's, yeah. he's. I mean, it comes with a new contract. That this team has to give him big money. I think that that's the part that um, we, we struggle to swallow a little bit as fans. You know, we're we're looking for the best value. We're like, look at what he's done. But you know, if then that team is having to turn around and pay twenty nine million dollars to that player, it's going to be a little tougher pill to swallow for some of those teams to do. I mean, um, Tyreek Hill got a late first. Uh, Tyreek Hill uh, with that late first, uh, that's what I kind of 
put everything in perspective. I think that we look at Tyree Kill as a much more valuable asset in the terms yeah. of the way the NFL views receivers and everything. Yeah. So I I would struggle to believe, and I know he got some other picks thrown in there. Don't get me wrong, but I would struggle to believe that Chris Jones is going to get something more significant than that, or more significant than maybe even Frank Clark. Like I I, I think it's just tough because of the age, the contract, everything like that. So at what point does it become not worth it for you? Like what, at what point do you look at it and you go, listen, the best we're getting is a late two, like the D Ford contract. The best we're getting is a late two. Let's just play him out another year. Let's just, you know, have him for another year. Get the comp pick 27 mil against the cap though. It's a big cap hit. still. big cap hit still. It's it. It is a massive cap hit. But you can absorb it. They do have a lot of cap room next year. And if this draft class is anywhere as good as we hope it is, they can ride with some of these guys a little more than we thought that they could. Plus, they're going to have a bunch more picks. I know that it's very unlikely that Brett Veach is going to hit it out of the park three years in a row. (laughs) But, I mean, as it stands right now, you can maybe try and ride that out. So, I think bringing up Tyree Kill was a good I think bringing up Tyreek Hill is a good point because I think a lot of Chiefs fans would have wanted a lot more than what the Chiefs got back, but it was it was a pretty good haul to get back for Tyreek Hill. And it's different positions. If Chris Jones doesn't come back and repeat his 20, what was it, 18 kind of season, mm-hmm. I just don't see him touching that that level of compensation, though. I just don't. I think he would have to have that level to get this Tyreek Hill, this Frank Clark level of compensation to come back for him. He's going to have to have this, I'm contending for defensive player of the year. I'm finally going to break into double-digit sacks for the second time in my career. Like It's going to have to be a lot more impactful. And it's silly as it is, it's going to have a lot to be a lot more production. You can't come off of another eight, nine sack season with sub double digit tackles for loss and then go out there and say, we're going to trade this guy for a top 20 pick in the NFL draft. It's just not going to work at his age and the new contracts. Like you need him if you're going to trade him to have a big year. That also makes it a little bit dicier if you want to trade him. But like, what what's the line? What is the lowest you would trade him for going into next year? Let's say he just repeats this, you know, the same level of play he had last year, same level of playoff ineffectiveness ish. What do you, what's the lowest that you would trade him for before oh. you would just be like, okay, I'm going to pay him $27 million this year or have that oh be the cap. That's, that's so rough. Um, there's so many other things that have to, that have to go into All of like again, like I mentioned, the whole defensive line thing, you're losing so many bodies along the defensive line. You need a guy. So I'm probably it's gonna take I think a late two. I'll just say a late two. Okay. I think there's a lot of extra stuff that kind of cycles in there. I think I need at least a late two, even if he plays exactly the same as he did this year for me to be comfortable moving on. Do you have, do you have a valuation you're willing to put on that? I, I, this is funny. I would, I think I'd want more to make the trade. I think just getting a late two for Chris Jones would feel a little empty. Um, You would, I'd agree. I'd agree. I'm not, I'm not happy about it. (laughs) I've been very critical of Chris Jones. And I think, I don't know if he's as important as a lot of other chiefs fans think, but at the end of the day, a late two for, I mean, we've talked about it, a guy that has a very good case to be the second best defensive tackle in the NFL. And realistically, you can make a split after, you know, Jones, Buckner, maybe Kenny Clark. And I don't know if you have that many other guys really in contention for that tier. A late two for a guy that's that limited of a skill set that's still in his prime at 28. I think I'd be wanting it a top 50 pick. I think after we get outside the top 50, I would kind of start to get real iffy about making the deal and i do think if he has a good year you could get that but yeah if he has oh, another yeah. lower year like seven sacks again like he had two years ago i i don't know it's gonna be hard i think to get a lot more than that out of him i just yeah no i i i would mostly agree with that i do think that he has the potential for more success this year um chief secondary should be improved i do think that quarterback's gonna have to hold on to the ball a little bit longer so I, I do think that, I don't know. I don't know what we will see, but this Aaron Donald contract has definitely dropped a bomb uh, on any sort of contract discussion. If there was any, 
this offseason. If the Chiefs were looking right. at it and going, hey, maybe we'll get ahead of this a little bit and extend Chris Jones again, like we had talked about at points this offseason already, I think that this changes that significantly. So I, I'm not sure that anybody is making that move. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Maddie, you and I last night were having a little bit of a discussion and we were talking about, you know, the Chiefs come out, they add a bunch of pieces to the secondary, spend a first round draft pick on Trent McDuffie, spend a second round draft pick on Brian Cook, a safety, spend, you know, a, a pretty good free agent contract on Justin Reed. Um, we're going to see a lot of new faces in the secondary here. And as I was kind of going through, I've, I've written an article on KCSN daily, and we're going to be going through this throughout the off season, talking about two high defenses, how teams have played, you know, the chiefs offense and tried to stymie some of the things that they've done, but also how Steve Spagnolo has utilized them in the past as well. I started looking at this and I, I said in our chat in our group chat, I'm not sure that the Chiefs are going to feel comfortable running a whole lot of, uh, especially, man-free coverage. Cover one coverage, single high safety with man underneath. I'm not sure that I see the Chiefs doing that, even with all these additions, even with having a round one cornerback. I'm not sure that I see the Chiefs lining up and playing single high, man-to-man across the board, Matty. Would, would you agree with that sentiment with a player like Trent McDuffie? Yes. No, I don't know. Um, okay. I, I said this to you last night, right? Normally my brain still works with this. If I'm spending a high draft pick on a corner, mm-hmm. I am anticipating them being able to play man coverage. I'm not mm-hmm. taking a corner early that I don't think can play man coverage and lock down a player, preferably a third of the field is what I'm investing a first round pick on a corner. They got to be able to play man. I don't buy into the draft zo- good zone corners in round one. I don't, so I don't agree with it. And that's not saying Trent McDuffie's. I actually think Trent McDuffie can play man, probably can play enough different variations of man coverage better than any other corner the Chiefs have had since Spagnuolo's been here. That includes Trevarius Ward, who was very good. I think Trent McDuffie can do more types of man coverage than Trevarius Ward did. But as the overall picture, with everything they've added, no, I don't think they are setting this up to come out and play single high, man cover, man free, like you said, just with deep safety roaming the middle of the field, man coverage on everybody else underneath so they can blitz more, they can do more with the second level. I don't think that's what they set this with this offseason up. I don't think that's their plan. And I asked you last night and you answered, do they want to? No, I don't think that they do. I I, I do think that they would still want to base a lot out of too high structures and everything like that. I do think that that's been Spagnuolo's bread and butter. We've just seen him do it with less investment at cornerback. And now all of a sudden it seems like the Chiefs are investing in that position a little bit more, that they're throwing a little more at it. They're certainly throwing a little more at safeties, which again, as you brought up, it would be, you know, 
more too high still. If you're going to throw that match money at safeties, you want to get them on the field. You want to get them more on the field more often. But I was kind of looking at it from the standpoint of it makes you a little more predictable. You're going to base in too high a lot. Sure, Steve Spagnuolo is going to throw a whole bunch of wrinkles at it. I mean, I I would love to see him adopt more of Saban's like cover seven you know, quarters looks and things like that. It's just so variable. There's just so many things you, you should do with it. quickly you give should. everybody. No, you should give everybody like the 30 second uh, pitch on what Oof. cover seven is. Okay, cover seven is basically like uh, Steve's or it's a Nick Saban's version of quarters coverage where you're going to have your deep safeties not stepping off, not gaining depth from a split safety look. And they're going to be able to aggressively fill the alley and aggressively get downhill to cut crossing routes and things like that. But cover seven on the outside with your cornerbacks and from the slot as you've got you know your nickelback or your will linebacker, it's a lot more adaptable. You can tag it with so many extra things because you've got the extra safeties over the top that can step up and can fill things. And so there's lots of things that you can tag. You can tag, you know, cut, cone, you know, all these man coverage addition, things like that. It's just such a diverse scheme that looks the same to offenses every single time it lines up. And it is so variant. So I want to adopt more of that because it is so unpredictable. It is so different, and it's given you know, collegiate offenses that schematically are so far ahead of what you know NFL offenses are. Players aren't the same, but the schematics are so much better, and it has stumped them. They've had to come up with all these things to stop all of these different types of offenses, and it works for Bama. So I would like to see the Chiefs adopt some more of those. And sorry for putting you on the spot here. I, I just figured, you know, people would want to hear what, you know, what we're talking about. And then I was going to take this and we're going to, you know, start drawing some parallels to some of the players here, right? So mm-hmm. we're, you know, based this, you know, with too high stuff, it's quarters. There's going to be too high safety. So you look at who we're anticipating the Chiefs, you know, kind of utilizing. And whether, I think you can probably say Juan Thornhill or Brian Cook paired with Justin mm-hmm. Reed here. I think it probably makes a little bit more sense with Brian Cook because then now you have two safeties that can both spin down and mm-hmm. they can drop deep. You want to stay as versatile as possible. You want to be able to run all these different tags off of it at times. And especially for certain RPOs, one of these or both of these safeties are going to be involved in run fits coming out of cover seven. You would probably prefer Brian Cook to be involved over Juan Thornhill in some of these scenarios. Right. So you put these two safeties, you're not asking them to play just deep. You're putting them a little bit close to the line of scrimmage. They're not stepping off at the snap. They're reading everything that's happening in front of them. And you get two, and this this now includes Juan Thornhill. You have these high IQ players that have good instincts. They can read stuff happening in front of them. They have good bursts to come downhill. None of them are, besides Thornhill, none of them are like the rangiest guys playing single high, but they're good coming downhill. They're explosive athletes. They can come in, they can hit, they make, make plays on the football you're putting two of these guys, you know, at this 12, 14 yard range at you know, kind of the deepest. They're not running off. They're picking up guys running seams over the middle of the field. All makes sense. Then now on the outside, instead of having just two corners that are going to stand at the line of scrimmage and punch you in the mouth, turn and try to run vertical with you, you now have Trent McDuffie who can do a little bit more. I think this is where he makes a lot of sense is if you kind of tr- go transition this way. He doesn't have to just stand at the line of scrimmage and try to jam you. In fact, that's probably not what he should be doing. He shouldn't be doing that. He should be bailing out. He should be just matching you. Maybe he's even playing it off coverage and letting you pick up a three-yard now route so he can come up and make the tackle. But now all of a sudden you have this other corner who's incredibly smart. He can drop off and you know exchange with your safety. He can go back and play a deep half. He's done it plenty at Washington. He can take the deep third of the field. Like He can do all these different things, or he can stay and play this man coverage. So I just think this match, this cover seven concept, you now have a corner and two safeties who can do a little bit of everything. Even if you are limited on the other side with a Fenton, who's a little bit more of just a press and run vertically kind of guy, or Elani Johnson, it's at least just one guy. And if you get him isolated on the X, it doesn't matter anymore. You are now right. running a split field coverage entirely. He's off there. He's doing his own thing, pressing somebody. Everybody else on the other side of the field can do all these different things. So I contend that they'll be a little bit more versatile. And I know you have a little bit of an issue potentially with some of the way they might run cover three. Yeah, I do. I do. And, you know, I think a lot of people, when they think of cover three, they're thinking of the Seattle cover three. And that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. As a matter of fact, let's just do this. Um, I got a whiteboard Uh here. I got a graphic. Uh Where 
we're going to give you guys a little something that we don't typically do here. So I'm, I'm going to share this while I am doing this. If you like this conversation that's occurring right now, if you like what you heard today, click the like button, click the share button, subscribe to KCSN down here at our YouTube channel. We're going to be doing more of this and leave a comment, more of this type of stuff for us. So get ready. We are going to be doing that kinds of stuff. Let's get to it. Okay. So we're looking at a, you know, single high structure out of here. So you're, when you're thinking typical Seattle cover three, what you're thinking of is you're thinking of these cornerbacks dropping straight back here. So you got both of these guys coming back. You've got this deep safety here in the middle of the field that's responsible to covering kind of sideline to sideline, and you're splitting it into three deep thirds. That's not what I'm talking about, not what we're talking about, and not what a lot of teams do anymore because a lot of teams use match coverages now. And a lot of teams, when they adopt some of these match coverages, a lot of them are basing it off of what Nick Saban and what Bill Belichick invented in the early 90s with the Cleveland Browns. This is where we can have some conversations about the way that the Chiefs or the Chiefs defense can play this in the secondary. Now, the general rules basically here for match coverages is if you're on the outside here, basically anything, if you're a boundary corner, if the number one receiver goes vertical, so does the boundary corner. They have to absolutely follow that. They follow it vertically here. However, if the number one receiver goes underneath linebacker depth, as so, this cornerback now all of a sudden has to zone off, looking to the deep part of here, and keeps an eye on maybe this number two receiver trying to run up the outside here. So basically, it's a way to switch some of this stuff and this nickelback can come down here and cover some of this. It's a way to switch underneath while still playing a lot of cover three concepts and playing a lot of that type of stuff without having to rely on this guy in the middle of the field to do literally everything. You can still have zone match concepts without having to put these guys in a real bind here. My issue with some of this is as it goes to like some of these situations where you've got a guy on the outside here. Oh, crud. I can't grab him. So basically, let's say this receiver over here now comes to a three-by-one set. In a three-by-one set, typically, this means that this corner is on an island and he is man or is he, he's zoning off. And this guy over here, depending on this guy, could be a receiver out here. Let's say that this tight end isn't here anymore. Now, all of a sudden, is in man coverage against this guy. So even though it's a cover three scheme, you can still find ways as an offense to match up. Let's call this guy Mike Williams. Now, all of a sudden, you've got Mike Williams against Trent McDuffie in a cover three scheme, in an exploitable path without a safety over the top. So I still find ways that offenses can come and exploit the lack of length, the lack of size when we get to these scenarios. So that's where I'm kind of coming from here, Maddie. What, what do you have to say about some of that stuff? I think it's always going to be something that the Chiefs have to deal with if a team is going to go three by one. Trent McDuffie is going to play on the outside, whether you're playing in a cover three, whether it's going to be some form of cover one. Even if you want to go quarters, teams can ice. I mean, if you want to throw this same oh, three sure. by one look, yeah and it's still playing too high, like you're still going to have a good chance that Trip McDuffie can be isolated one-on-one. -on -one. So like, that's just going to be an issue they're going to have to face, right? Like that's when you took him, you knew that was going to be the case. When you took Trip mm -hmm. McDuffie, that was always going to be a possibility as that teams with big X receivers want to try to isolate him one-on-one -on -one, and they might try to take advantage of it. And it's not a problem until it's a problem. And if it becomes a problem, the chiefs will have to address it, right? If, they come out and they play the Chargers and Mike Williams does what Jamar Chase did to them in that first game two times. And then Jamar Chase does it. And then somebody like, okay, you got to figure it out, right? You got to find some kind of solution. My, I, the way I took, we had a little bit of a conversation about this last night, just to catch people mm -hmm. up. You were concerned about his ability to kind of squeeze towards the sideline, use his Correct. length and play cover three. And I took that as just against an average wide receiver, not just nightmare matchups. Sure. And I sure. said, I, I agree. If you're going to have Trent McDuffie get up on the line of scrimmage, try to press step kick and then play cover three from essentially being in phase or trail technique like Seattle taught Richard Sherman and Brandon Browner and all those guys, 
yeah, that's going to be a problem. What Trent McDuffie can do, though, is he can play his cover three from off. He's actually been really good at that at Washington. So instead of getting up on the line of scrimmage, he'll stay five, eight yards off. He'll just bail out. And if you want to throw something short, he's good at breaking underneath. He's got good route recognition to crash underneath on stuff if he has to. But then that way he's playing top down. He's technically playing out of phase, but he's not getting stacked on the back of a guy. And now all of a sudden you're kind of eliminating some of that lack of length. Now the issues with that, back shoulder throws, comebacks. He can be boxed out a little bit easier because he's a small guy, but this goes back to my thing. They took Trent McDuffie knowing his length. He didn't all of a sudden get sure. shorter since they took him. <laughs> they know yeah. this is a, a potential issue they'll have to deal with, and they feel okay with that. It showed up at times in college at Washington. I'm not going to say it never showed up, but it wasn't something that showed up game after game, time after time, and Pac-12 wasn't the NFL. But go look at Oregon's roster of wide receivers the past couple seasons. They have some monsters out there. They can't play very well, but they have some monsters out there, and they were not out there posterizing Trent McDuffie rep after rep. So like, I see the worry for concern, but I think if they do want to still base out of a lot of cover three stuff instead of too high, which I still think it'll be too high more often, but if they want to so do too. a lot of single high stuff, he can just play off. You don't have to play press every time. I know Steve Spagnuolo wants to. God, I know Steve Spagnuolo wants to. Yeah but you don't have to put Trent McDuffie in press coverage every single time. In fact, if you do, if you ask him to play press, this step kick, try to get his hands on a guy, then fall on the trail and erase things with his length and using his physicality into the sideline, that that's Spagnuolo's fault. That's not McDuffie's yeah. fault. That's Spag's fault for maybe essentially misusing a player. I And I, I do wonder a little bit how they're going to handle some of the nickelback stuff. I do wonder how they're going to handle some of this other stuff. Again, I, Steve Spagnuolo is not a heavy uh, cover three guy. I, I'm not trying to indicate here by this conversation that he <laughs> uses a ton of it. He uses he uses it fine. He uses it plenty, but he's not a heavy cover three guy. He's kind of been ahead of some of this switch to too high structure. Part of that's been necessity because of the the type of cornerback that he had on the outside, rather than you know having a stud that he could really rely on and count on to be there on the outside. So. He has been largely based out of two high structures. It's just a conversation that came to mind when I was looking over that. You know, they draft a guy that now all of a sudden you're still going to have to base out of two high structures mostly, which still fits Steve Spagnuolo. Don't get you wrong, but you know, spending a first round draft pick on a guy that that you are still going to have to base out of two high structures more often than not. You can still get away with it. Don't get me wrong. He's still going to play cover three. They're still going to have some other looks that they can play. They'll play cover one. They'll play cover zero. Steve Spagnuolo is going to play cover zero plenty. It's going to happen. So he's going to find himself in isolated man coverage situations. It's just, I'm with Matty. I mean, it's one of those conversations that if you're drafting a guy in round one, of the draft you want a guy that you can trust to line up in most situations and play man coverage and you can trust a little bit to play man coverage on an island without safety help over the top i mean i do think that trent mcduffie's better at that than what we saw from any of the cornerbacks in recent history for steve spagnolo you brought that up last night definitely agree with that but i do think that there are some limitations there but again like you said that's on Spagnuolo if they get into those sort of situations. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see where it goes. I don't think you're going to see a dramatic shift into playing. The Chiefs played a lot of man coverage or at least match coverage that plays out like man. I don't think you're going to see some kind of dramatic shift now where it's just nonstop man coverage like the New England Patriots when Gilmore was still in his prime. Defensive player of the year, Gilmore, and they had J.C. Jackson and the McCourties. Like, you're not going to get that level, that type of man-to-man -man coverage out of the Chiefs. I do think they're going to do a lot more stuff. I think there's going to be a lot. I, Steve Spagnuolo and his presser kind of hinted at it. We're going over a lot of stuff that we're not even going to use week to week right now, <laughs> but we want to have at least done it once or twice. I think there's going to be a lot of stuff this year, not, whether that's because a guy like Trent McDuffie and Justin Reed and Brian Cook allow you to, or because he thinks he needs it, I don't know. I just think that they'll be able to throw a lot more stuff, and now you don't have to have your corners press every single play to stand a chance to defend a break or run vertically. So I, I'm interested sure. to see how it goes. Yeah, me too. Me too, for sure. But we'll we'll be getting into more of that on KCSN Daily. I'll, 
I got an entire, <laughs> supposedly I have an entire week that I'm going to try and touch on cover seven, but it may turn into a month. We'll see. I don't know. I, I'm, I may get way in the weeds on that one, but we'll get there. Okay. Matty, you said you had a little game here. We don't have Kent to complain about games. Yeah, it's and, not you know, It's not exactly a game, but it's fun. This is a fun segment. I would have won it anyway. So you, oh, we you're can... the winner. Regardless, you're okay. the winner. You won. You beat yes. Kent again. Um, awesome. I, I forget if you were the magician or babyface. I think you were the magician. So you win. The magician's up 2-0 on the babyface. Um, but no, I, I got a little bit of fun. We've been a little bit serious talking about Chris Jones' contract and maybe a little negative on how he might not be a long fit with the Chiefs. We're questioning the decision to take, you know, Trip McDuffie in the first round and what the Chiefs defense looked like. So let's have some fun. You can feel free to jump in and respond to my takes, or you can come up with your own. Okay. But we're going to compare the AFC West teams to television shows that have come out like this summer. And so I'm starting off the top. I'm starting with the best. I'm starting with the Kansas City Chiefs, right? They were at the top. They were the best. When they won the Super Bowl, they were like everyone's favorite little underdog team. They climbed to the top. Some people got a little tired of them. Some people said, I don't know. They're a little too cocky now. The whimsical, fun nature of this team has kind of wore off. It's going to be three years (laughs) before they could win their next Super Bowl. You know what show had a three-year hiatus, Craig? Stranger Things. Uh-huh. The best show this summer, Stranger Things, is the best team in the AFC West, the Kansas City Chiefs. A couple of years ago, it was all fun and games. You had all these personalities. They were having fun with Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyree Kill. All these guys had fun. It was like these kids just having fun. Now they're growing up, just like in Stranger Things. If anyone's seen it, or if you haven't, this isn't spoilers, but people get older. It's, I, I, it's a thing, I know. People grow up. Now, all of a sudden, there's this real fear. Things are real. We, they might not be as good as before. How are they going to overcome it? Now it's the Chiefs are stranger things if we're ta- comparing them to a summer release television show this year, Craig. Plus, plus they're, they're probably, we're, we're going to get into like week four and we can reference this again. They are, they potentially have the scariest monster of any season under Patrick Mahomes. Like this if this true. offense, if this offense clicks, they're going to be pretty diverse, but if it clicks, holy cow. Like, it could be terrifying for NFLD. So, it, I'm, I'm on board with that. And I got I one. Had another, oh, I had another Patrick yeah. Mahomes um, oh, like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the comparison, too, right? So, Patrick Mahomes, I mean, I think after this golf, after the Open, like everybody knows, Patrick Mahomes is like the coolest guy. Like, he's the most fun guy in the league. Stranger Things has the most fun character right now in Steve Harrington. So, like, there's just another one. Steve, Patrick Mahomes, the most likable guys that we're talking about here. So, like, that that kind of rounds out that comparison. We got Yoder05 from the chat here. Does that make MVS equal 11? Boy, Probably. I hope so. Probably. Man, give, give that man powers. Yes, sir. Um, okay, I got one. AFC West team. Um, I'm going to go with the Denver Broncos here. Ooh, okay. I have a, a funny one hype. for this. So I like a lot, a lot of hype coming into this. Yeah. You know, basically, they've got everything laid out in front of them. They've, they've just sold, they've just been picked up by a new company here. And, you know, they're taking some of their legacy and they're trying to bring in somebody that you know, came from a little bit different version, trying to bring him in and draw some real hype on it. It's kind of fallen flat so far. So Ooh. I think it's a little bit like the TV show Obi-Wan. Oh. I know a lot of people Ooh. like it, but I know we've heard a lot of comments where it's just like, Man, I don't know where this is going yet. I'm not fully on board with it, especially this week. You know, episode three, people are a little bit iffy. Again, this is Ooh. a spoiler-free zone. Don't get me wrong. It is a spoiler-free zone, but... A lot, of, a lot of iffy people about episode three. Russell Wilson this week comes out with his hype video. Very iffy <laughs> response from a lot yeah. of people. Basically, only thing that's really in line here that people are agreeing, you know, kind of like Star Wars fans are like, man, I love this. This is great and all of that. I'm a Star Wars fan as well. But, you know, a lot of these diehards are saying, I love this. A lot of the diehard Bronco fans are like, man, I love this. Whereas everybody else is like, definitely in a wait and see mode especially after this week 
Oh man, I love that you did that because you're taking the grenade for me because I, I had a whole build-up pitch for comparing the Chargers, this overhyped team year after year with the new Disney show of this Star Wars universe rolling out that's supposed to be the next best thing. You've seen just enough of Justin Herbert that you're really enticed. He's still young. He's still new. He can be better. That's like the Mandalorian, right? Star Wars mm -hmm. shows you this awesome show that everyone loves and you think Obi-Wan's going to be even better. Just like Justin Herbert's 2022, it's going to be better and he's going to take the next step. Then the show starts and it falls flat yet again, just like the Chargers every single year. I thought it was going to take a lot of heat for that one because I know there's a lot of Obi-Wan fans out there. I know there is. I know people like the show or I contend they just like the universe, just like people want the Chargers to be good. It's more of a, I want that show to be good. I want that team to be good rather than them actually doing it. So like, I like that you went that route and I can get the corniness aspect of Russell Wilson certainly aligns. I had them with the overhypeness and just the falling flat and just, I, I had them with the Chargers. So I'm glad you jumped on that one for me. Do, do you have another one? Cause I have the whole AFC West ready to rock. Oh, okay. if you need some time, I got my Broncos one since you did them. Okay, yeah, go ahead and do your Broncos one. I'll, I got <laughs> um, my Chargers one, I think. I'll, I'll put my thoughts together because you put me on the spot here. This, I did. You yeah. had no idea this was coming. Okay, so my Broncos one, I'm a little disappointed. I'm going to go ahead and take some extra heat off of you now. I was really hoping Ted Lasso season three came out this oh, summer so I could really compare to the Broncos heat off of me. <laughs> for being just the corniest family-friendly, boring show that's ever existed, just like Russell Wilson and the Broncos. It doesn't come out this summer, so I can't do the Broncos to Ted Lasso. So instead, I did the Broncos to the Bachelorette because it's old and tired. We know what it is. It might be kind of funny in the first episode where there's a bunch of drama in the house. But then as soon as you get past everyone's entrances to the show and the drama of the first like week, nobody cares because the show falls apart, just like Russell Wilson every single year. Okay. I got my Chargers one. And it's one of my favorite shows. Uh-oh. And it's one of a lot of people's favorite shows. Okay. But the Chargers, to me, are like the show The Boys. Um, <laughs> this team, on paper, you look at this, a whole bunch of superheroes. Like, you look at it, and it's like, man, there are a whole bunch of studs. This roster is stacked. You're looking at the roster of The Boys and everything like that. It's like, man, look at all these guys. And yet... They never live up to it. They never live up to the hype. They do enough. They do enough to be dangerous. They're going to have games where they can put it all together, where they truly go superhero mode. But by and large, there are going to be moments where they are bad and they are going to miss the playoffs, which is unacceptable. They are. They just don't gel together. They fight. They do. Again, trying to be a spoiler-free zone here, but I also, this is a family-friendly podcast, so I probably shouldn't say any, like 90% of the things that happen in the boys, <laughs> but also, like, it just doesn't come together right. It, it, things don't happen the way that you expect them to, and so they've got this roster, and it is dysfunctional. Not from a front office standpoint, or not from a personal standpoint, but in an execution standpoint. They should be in contention for the AFC championship every single year, especially with Justin Herbert at the helm, but they are unable to do that because they just can't put it together. They can't get everything together. Much like the boys struggle with some of that stuff in the TV show there. I, I had the boys for the Las Vegas Raiders actually for some of the ah. same stuff, but I like, I was going to go with like, when you watch the show, the biggest, the best part about the boys, not I, I like a lot of the show. I really do. One of the best parts is they have one of the best villains going right now, right? Just the, the way that he has been built throughout the thing, the, how scary he is in the real world. The boys has one of the best villains. The Raiders make a great villain. When the Raiders are good, they're True. a great villain. Like they really, really are. And then just like with the boys, like you're saying, nothing goes how you expect. You don't know if they're going to draft a convict. You don't know if they're going to fire their head coach that they just signed to a 10-year guaranteed million-dollar deal. You don't know if a guy in the front office is going to quit and throw allegations at the team. Like You just don't know what the Raiders are going to do. Just like what you tune into an episode of the boys, you don't know what's going to happen. It's going to get gruesome. It's going to be ugly. But guess what? You're not going to take your eyes off of it. Like you're not going to move your eyes. It's just, it's just fun. It's chaotic fun. And like, that's kind of how I see the Raiders. It's just, it's just pure and raw chaos. And you know, I see a lot of parallels between the main character and Derek Carr. 
Um, you know, there, there are a lot of one in the same. There's a, <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of stuff there. It's so like, that's, I had the Raiders for the boys. I like the chargers too, because of the scariness aspect. I get what you were going for. I, I leaned into the villain part of, you know, that and going with uh, the Raiders and then just them being a train wreck. Like that show sometimes is a fun train wreck, but a train wreck nonetheless. Okay. Um, for me, the Raiders, the Raiders are going to be. Oh, let's call it uh, the fourth show. It, is we had the same three shows off the bat. It's that fourth show that I really like. There's not like a I fourth know. blockbuster show. That's yeah. what I was really hoping. I, Ted and see, no, see, I'm going to go a little different direction with it. I'm going to go the direction of let's go the direction of NCIS Ooh, Las yeah, Vegas. Okay. So it's NCIS Las Vegas. It's around, you know, it's there. It's, it's kind of floating in the ether there, but you, you know that there's a lot of people that watch it. There's a lot of people that, but you've never met them, but you've not met them. You don't know who they are. You, you appreciate that they're there and it's fine. And it's a fine show. It doesn't hold the same sort of status that some of these other ones that we talked about, but it's, it's not, (laughs) you just, you forget about it. You forget that it's on sometimes. It's kind of like comfort watching. It's basically if football's on and the Raiders are on, you're like, well, you know what? I guess I can watch this. I mean, it's, it's, it's there. They're part of the division. I suppose I should watch it. But then maybe you find something better that's on. You flip around for a little bit and then you get back to it. And, you know, you're just like, yeah, fine. This this is what it is. So I, I'm going to go with that because it's just not quite as relevant to <laughs> discussion in some of these other shows. Oh, this is great. I'm so happy you were able to jump in and participate. I was I was fully prepared to just take heat for the next like week. Uh I go on vacation next week. So like after yeah, you know, Wednesday know. show, like and you know, people couldn't yell at me anymore. So I was prepared to take heat. So I appreciate you for jumping in. God, you took the Obi-Wan grenade for me first. That was even the best part. Like I didn't have to be the one to lead with that foot. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition, this Monday's edition of the oh, Craig yet again beats Kent and Kent's not even here. Uh, the live KC lab. Um, we will be back on Wednesday night recording, and then it'll be available to you Thursday morning. I almost forgot that one wasn't live. So uh, we will catch you guys then, and we'll talk some football with you later. <laughs>